0: Hello and welcome to The Green Canary. Today on the show, we're going to be talking about a little thing you might have heard about called the federal election, (laughs) which is going to be on May 21. And the party's going to be taking various climate and environmental policies to that election. And we're going to quickly run through which party is bringing what to the table. We're also going to talk about a report that never made it to the table, but bloody well should have, excuse my language, Oh, did I say report? There's also another IPCC report. It's raining IPCC reports this year, but we'll tell you why there has been a third one. And we'll also tell you a thing about lizards later in the podcast. (laughs) I'm Ant Sharwood. Hello. And I'm sitting opposite someone... Who is my favourite co-podcast host, Elfie Scott? How are you, Elfie?
1: It seems like a very narrow band of people to be <laughs> succeeding in. But thank you so much, Ant. Hi, I'm Elfie Scott. Um, how's your week been, Ant?
0: Look, it, it's, it's been um, a busy week. I think everyone has a mini version of that pre-Christmas get-everything-done Uh, Kind of mindset. Pre Easter? Yeah, as we move towards Easter. Well, as I say, it's a mini version of the Christmas crazy cram everything in, get it done. Got it. So it's been a bit like that. It's uh, been a bit like that in politics too, hasn't it? So why don't we get into it?
1: Yeah, so for the first story this week, we unavoidably have to talk about the federal election, like you pointed out. And we thought it would be best to just give you a refresher course on the climate policies that cl- that parties are bringing to this election. So teach us, Ant. What have we got? Do you want to start with the libs?
0: Well, they are the government and they are bringing us net zero the Australian way. Now, I don't want to say that... that- Net zero the Australian way was an entirely vacuous document.
1: Uh, <laughs> it, that, that <laughs> Heavy m- asterisks next <laughs> to that statement. Well,
0: that, that would that would be a statement laden with with something that might be interpreted as political bias. But I think uh, you know smarter analysts than I ha- have said that it was a document somewhat lacking in detail and somewhat overabundant in. Uh, phrases that had a sort of dog whistle effect to the electorate. Phrases yeah. like no new taxes, which which sounded very carbon tax, you know, if we wind the clock back to twenty thirteen and Tony Abbott. Um The very title of the document, Net Zero, the Australian Way, what is the Australian Way to do Net Zero, Elfie?
1: Well, the Australian Way is not really outlining any specific policies, (laughs) but, you know, they have committed to Net Zero by 2050, so, you know, you can't undermine them in that sense. But, you know, there are plenty of reasons to be very, very critical of them. Um, there was a really interesting point that came out after the document was published talking about the fact that they were saying, you know, they're going to use technology, not taxes, to get to zero emissions, but... When you look at the actual technologies that they've outlined to reduce emissions, 15% of them don't actually exist yet. So when you say that the document is nebulous, that's what we're talking about. We're talking about a very sort of ambiguous document that doesn't really pin down anything concrete.
0: Um, Yeah, that's right. So it it was nebulous. Nebulous is a good word. I used vacuous. Vacuous is perhaps unfair because there is some stuff in it. But look, it's 21 pages. And... Net zero, the, the Australian way, let us not forget, was hastily cobbled together um, to take something other than fossil fuel lobbyists off to COP26 in Glasgow. Yeah,
1: take a sweet 20 page document that says almost nothing. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So
0: um, it, it did feel like that sort of kicking and screaming effect. And, and um, you know, we mentioned that last week about the federal budget that it took it took, uh, Josh Frydenberg 20 or 19 and a half minutes to mention the words climate or renewables. Mm. Uh, it took the opposition two and a half minutes. They made it front and centre. And, you know, if we move on to the Labor policy, it, it feels a little bit like their powering Australia plan is uh, something that they've done uh, out of desire, out of choice, rather than out of uh, sort of, oh, we kind of have to have this. Uh, it's it's not perfunctory. It, it seems to be a document that has a little bit more in it, doesn't it?
1: Yeah, totally. So, you know, the the headline for Labor's policy would be that they have that promise to cut emissions by 43% by 2030. So that's... You know, it is not as ambitious as many of us would have liked to have seen, but they do have this accompanying plan that's pretty comprehensive in terms of the fact that it includes things like rebuilding and modernizing the grid for renewable energy. They've also promised Australia's first national electric vehicle strategy, which Ant and I go on and on about on this pod. The fact that, you know, electric vehicle market really needs this clear signal from government, right, To in order to flourish. And so, you know, there are some promising things in the Powering Australia plan. Is it necessarily as big and grand as we would have wanted it to be? Maybe not.
0: No, there's still a lot of criticism for Labor and and some some of it's absolutely spot on. Um, You know, we we were tweeting today and I think it's, it's actually worth bringing up the poll that we did if we're able to do that. But we did a poll saying, is this a... Uh, election is it affected effectively a referendum on on climate you know, on meaningful climate action that was our exact wor- wording and the options were yes no and sort of bit of both mm-hmm. and overwhelmingly people are saying it is I mean thirty it's broken into thirds a third are saying yes it's a referendum on meaningful climate climate action a third are saying no and a third are saying mostly yes so two thirds think it is either entirely or mostly a referendum on meaningful climate action. Yeah, That is where Australians are at with this. They want to vote on this issue. I think for the first time ever, the issue is front and centre and I think Labor's plan puts it a little bit more front and centre. Here's Albanese from Labor's Powering Australia document. He says, whether Scott Morrison can see it or not, we are in a race. Every major economy in the world is moving towards renewables. If we don't seize this moment, Australia will be left out, dot, dot, dot. And a key phrase there, we are in a race. Mm. Because remember, um, COVID, it's not a race. (laughs) I think that is deliberate word choice. So you talk about a bit of dog whistling in in the... net zero the Australian way, the the government's document. I think there's a little bit of dog whistling here <laughs> in, in Labor's Powering Australia document when he I says... like that read. ...we are in a race, which we also were in a race to get the vax as quickly as possible... I think the majority of australians feel with COVID, even even though the prime minister said we weren't yeah so there's a bit going on there isn't it yeah
1: yeah no i agree with that i think that's a clever interpretation yeah. of that um also before we move on we should probably go through the greens plan because i think that's the only one that sort of abides by yeah. the actual ambitious uh sort of net zero target by 2030 and they say they're going to reduce emissions by 75 percent by the end of the decade and they want to ban all political donations from the fossil fuel sector you know cut those ties between government and fossil fuel and also immediately put a stop on the construction of any new coal oil or gas infrastructure and phase out coal by 2030 but i also want ant to go through the wild (laughs) card here because we've been talking about like we've gone through what Liberal Labor and the Greens, please walk me through the United Australia Party's policies because they make me laugh.
0: Yeah, the the United (laughs) Australia's, uh, whatever they're called, Palmer Party, um, basically is going to bring on the next Chernobyl that's what they want Um, I can only say that way because I was brought up in a a household where my mother's first language was Russian I can't say Chernobyl I have to say Chernobyl but basically they're pro-nuclear they are totally pro-nuclear there is no mention of the word climate the word renewables also has no mention this is in the Palmer United uh, Party full policy document Uh, but the word nuclear is there they want to investigate nuclear potential That is not necessarily how the Green Canary, or I would imagine you, its listenership, sees the world. I think we can do the job of nuclear with renewables. So best to move on from there.
1: Yeah. All right. Let's do it. Okay. So let's move on to the next story. We're going to talk about a little report called the State of Environment Report. And there were reports this week, news reports, that the Environment Minister, Susan Lee, has apparently been sitting on the most recent state of the environment report since December without publicly releasing it. And does she have any obligation to release it?
0: No, legally she doesn't. She She's late enough in the Parliament's term that she can wait until there is a, a, a new government. But let's just do some really basic maths here. There was a report in 2011. There was a report, report in 2016. That's five years. There was a report in 2021. So you kind of want your five yearly state of the environment reports to be yearly. Yeah,
1: true. Uh, oh, actually, can you walk us through the details of what it actually has? Because that's probably important to go through.
0: The State of the Environment Report is is actually a, a, a really significant thing. And, and you know, if you look at 2016, it talked about climate change, it talked about land use, it talked about habitat fragmentation and degradation, talked about invasive species. It is absolutely what it says. It's a State of the Australian Repo- um, Environment uh, wrap up. And, you know, there's this one line in there uh, in the 2016 report that says climate change is an ex- increasingly important and pervasive pressure on all aspects of the Australian environment. Just give me one more line. Um, it will result in location specific vulnerabilities and people who are socially and economically disadvantaged, blah, blah, blah. Evidence shows the impacts of climate change are increasing. Some of these impacts may be irreversible. It goes on and on. And we've seen it. We saw it in the Black uh, Summer fires. We saw it in the recent floods. We've seen countless examples of it. And I don't think it would have done the government a particularly good favour to have that come out and say, oi, what have we done? Uh, So I don't think buried is too strong a word.
1: Yeah, yeah. No, look, I totally agree with that. We're coming up to a federal election, as pointed out many times before. So it's probably not a coincidence. All right, let's move on. We're going to talk about another report. We're spilling over with reports this week, aren't we? All right, this is the third report of the sixth assessment from the IPCC. So, you know, last year, we covered the first report, we were talking about the state of the climate. Uh, Earlier this year, we were talking about the impacts of that climate science. And then this report basically talks about what humanity can do to mitigate those effects and reduce greenhouse gas emissions. So, Ant, do you mind walking me through what the IPCC have actually said here?
0: Oh, look, there's so much in there, Elfie. And and I know that you and I have report fatigue. I assume people out there have report fatigue. The, the reason I really want to mention this report is I love... It, it takes a swipe at wealthy people. And, and wealthy people, um, d- d- like wealthy nations, have mm. a higher carbon footprint than everyone else. Um, but there's this great line. Um, one of the lead authors, uh, a professor from, from England, who, who said, yeah, I think there are individuals with high socioe- socioeconomic status who are capable of reducing their emissions by becoming role models of low-carbon lifestyles, by choosing to invest in low-carbon businesses and opportunities and by lobbying for stringent climate policies. So, <coughs> Jeff th- Bezos. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. It's it's saying every Jeff Bezos in the world, be more Bill Gates. Um, or be... <laughs> y-
1: y- y- or MCB.
0: MC- be more MCB. Mike Cannon Brooks, for those who aren't who aren't regulars, um, be more Saul Griffith, be, be the 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 sort of be more Twiggy Forrest, who mm. you wouldn't have suggested fell into this category several years ago before the iron ore billionaire became obsessed, uh, more than obsessed, dedicated so to green, gr- hydrogen. green hydrogen. Yeah. So I, I, I like that. It's it's terrific to see this report just branch out a little bit from the science. <laughs> wave a little stick at the people who can make a difference and say do make a difference
1: yeah totally and you know what we sh- we should also point out that the report went into the way that governments themselves can tackle the climate crisis and you know they specifically outlined policy changes that can drastically reduce emissions and i think that that's really important to note in the context of what we talked about with the liberal party and their plan like The IPCC is pointing towards concrete legislative changes to try and deter emissions, and I think that that's what we need to see, because without it, we're just not going to get there.
0: That's so well said. That's so well said. I mean, it will fall to the entrepreneurs and the governments, sort of in equal measure. Yeah,
1: totally. Um,
0: and, And I guess, coming back to the very first point we made at the start of this conversation about the government's net zero, the Australian Way document, it almost pushes it all towards the market. It almost pushes it mm. all onto the private sector. Uh, and net zero the Australian way has to be the agenda and the framework enabling it. And Labor's plan does does talk quite a lot about providing opportunities for investment. Uh, so, look, let's see what happens. But, but um, the IPCC report might just be a little pointer to two better times ahead i hope so oh gosh
1: fingers crossed all right <laughs> let's transition into mulch shall we so these are uh small curiosity stories the ones that what you just want to bring to the table just so you can get your eyes across them and you know maybe talk to your family about them later
0: and we often talk about animals here don't we because we
1: th- talk about animals so much <laughs> yeah but but animals are
0: part of the environment they they, they I live know. in the environment they're I gorgeous know. koalas are gorgeous what's going on with koalas elfie
1: okay so if you remember, last year, the New South Wales government committed $193 million to koala conservation. And it was part of a commitment to double koala numbers in the state by 2050, I think. Yes, I think that's right.
0: And 2050 is going to be a hell of a year, isn't it? Net, net zero. <laughs> <laughs> it's
1: gonna wow, bit, It's going to be a better party than
0: 2000.
1: <laughs> anyway, so the $193 million basically has been outlined uh in its spend through a plan they've come up with just like a framework of how they're going to use it now and you know i think it's important to go through what they actually say they're going to do with that cash now and it includes things like research habitat conservation uh national parks and things like that you know uh it's it's just nice to see uh that framework being outlined it for is us.
0: it is i'd still like to see uh some sort of harder line on land clearing. That's what's not in the $193 million uh, package. Yes,
1: very good point. A lot
0: of people uh, believe that land clearing is, is is the elephant in the room. It's the giant King Kong, you know, Tyrannosaurus <laughs> Rex-sized elephant in the room. Mm. You know, if we don't stop land clearing, we don't help koalas. But anyway, it's there. It's on the table. Something's being done. Let's move on. Now, listen, uh, nobody likes a creepy crawly. Um, funnel webs are out. The funnel webs are out. And snakes are out. And all sorts of bloody creepy crawlies are out.
1: Great. I love this. Yeah, terrific. Isn't it good <laughs> news?
0: Uh, because on the east coast where we are after extreme uh, amounts of rain, uh, these critters finally have a chance to get out on a uh, slightly more dry week as this week is for now.
1: But they love humidity, right? Like that's the...
0: They do. They do. Um and so they're out. Um, one woman recently handed in six funnel-web spiders. Thank you to the Australian Reptile Park, which is just on the freeway north of Sydney, uh, where they collect them for, for, to make anti antivenom. Um, so, look, there's actually a video on 9 News if you want to Google it. If you've ever wondered how to catch a funnel-web spider, huh. not something you want to do, but if you have to do it, I really recommend that video. Um that dude's braver than me, but he is a professional.
1: <laughs> Can I just say I fucking hate this story because I had two massive huntsmen's in my car the other day after the rain, and those things are. Bastards! I'd never want to catch one again in my car. They're really upsetting.
0: Uh, apparently, there are a lot of uh, motor vehicle accidents caused by huntsmen every year. I'm actually. not
1: surprised. I was about to purposefully drive my car. All right. The well, let's let's All move right. on to, to from huntsmen <laughs> to lizards.
0: This is not a good story. We must remember to end on a good story so we can be chirpy as the chirpy music ends at the end of the podcast. But what's going on?
1: Okay. Well, you know what? I think this is a mixed story. Um. Mm. Basically, 127 Australian reptiles have been added to this global convention to stop the illegal trade of them. So there are things like the spiny-tailed gecko, the shingleback lizard and blue tongue lizards. They're all going to be listed under this convention, uh, which is from the international trade in endangered species of wild flora and fauna. Um, so yeah, they're just getting extra protections basically because there has just been this massive exploding black market of Australian animals, and apparently in Europe you can like buy these lizards on Facebook mm. Marketplace. You can get them like traded in Pringles cans and things like that. It's really cruel and awful. I,
0: I don't know if a global convention ever stopped the illegal trade of animals, but it's it, it's good that it exists. I, I mean, the saddest thing I ever saw in my life was a cockatoo in Greece, Elfie. I was walking the back blocks of Athens. I was actually covering the 2004 Olympics in my previous life as a sports journalist. And I was actually looking for a pork chop restaurant. If you really <laughs> want to know the whole story, a restaurant that only uh, served pork chops, and I was going to write a terrific story on that. It was going to be very amusing. Didn't find it. Did find a sad Australian cockatoo. And it, it, there is nothing more tragic than seeing wildlife uh, from our own beautiful Australia just what, like, kept chained in, up there. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Being kept in someone else's cage for amusement. So I'm oh, all for the lizards getting stronger protection. But I said it was a bad story because it just depresses me that this trade exists anyway.
1: Yeah, look, hopefully it can do something to stem that trade and yep. we won't be seeing lizards in Pringles cans anymore. <laughs> Alright, so that is all we have time for today on this episode. Before we head off we would like to acknowledge the traditional custodians of the land on which we're recording the Gadigal people of the Eora Nation. We'd like to pay our respect to elders past and present and acknowledge that this land was stolen, never ceded. Uh,
0: well said, Alfie, and i just like to encourage people to keep chatting to us at Green Canary Pod which is where we are on Twitter we've had some great convos this week we're also out there on Instagram at Green Canary Media and I enjoyed rolling that R it was
1: beautiful oh my god thank
0: you so much and uh, you can uh, email us at hello at thegreencanary.co if you'd like our newsletter if you wouldn't like our newsletter there is absolutely something wrong with you because I work hard (laughs) on it it is a summary of some of the stuff in this pod plus a whole lot of other stuff plus beautiful pictures, plus graphs, and it's not boring. My job is to make that an interesting weekly dose of green news that doesn't put you to sleep. It is a challenge I take very seriously. I'll take it again this week. The newsletter comes out on Wednesday. And our pod will be here with a special pod next Monday. So we'll see you then.
1: Bye.